to this week's episode of Seen and Heard Industry Updates for the Modern Dairy Family. My name is Darby Toth and I'm a Technical Field Services Representative with Western United Dairies. And I'm Melissa Lima, the North Coast and Organic Field Services Rep for Western United Dairies. And Darby, I have some good news for you today. And what's that good news? The sun's out for the first time in two weeks. <laughs> I know that's so exciting. <laughs> People must be rolling their eyes at me, but it really is. Um, I think I could finally get off my vitamin D regimen and just get outside this afternoon. <laughs> that's pretty exciting. In addition to the weather, I also have some exciting news. I can see the road again from my house because we officially have chopped corn already. Ooh, chopped corn season is here. I can't believe it. Um, the corn is coming down or getting ready to come down in a lot of places. And we're going to talk about that in a segment a little bit later in the episode, but that's exciting. It, it is a little sad though, when you lose that natural fence. Yeah, we have a nice natural fence to the highway. So it's, it's all of a sudden quite a bit louder, but it's all right. It's nice to be able to see again. Yeah. Good to, good to see, you know, as, as we have been the entire time, dairies are just plugging along with their natural annual cycle of things. The, the corn went in the ground, the corn's coming out. A lot of industries aren't operating business as usual, but we're here making sure that the cows get fed so we can bring you guys all the healthy dairy products we all enjoy. Exactly. Well, I think this is going to be a good episode this week. It's going to be a little light, but we've had some pretty heavy episodes with some pretty heavy hitters in the last month. So this episode, we're going to be joined by Annie, who's going to give us another update about the ever-changing world of quota and all of its moving pieces. And then she's also going to talk about what's happening in the markets this week. Paul and Melissa are going to have an interesting discussion. Melissa? Well, I'm, I hate to maybe get us an explicit label, but we're talking shit today. Pardon my language, but we're going to um, cover everything um, producers should need to remember going into the harvesting and manure spreading season. So a lot of just best management practices and reminders for folks that are, I can't believe, already into the fall and winter, winterizing chores around the dairy. Well, we have a pretty funny rule about that word in our family. So if it's outside, it's all right, because it is what it is, but you can't <laughs> say it in the house. So hopefully we'll ex avoid an explicit rating for our dairy word. <laughs> we'll, then, we'll just hope they're listening outside on the, on the farm this weekend. Exactly. And then we're also going to have a Lacheros update from Rochelle. Great. And we'll just jump right in with Annie. Welcome, Annie. Yeah, glad to be here. There's a lot going on. Uh, yeah, you're telling us, Annie. Gosh, it seems like it's almost impossible to keep up with everything that's going on. So maybe we can start out once again by reviewing kind of the three processes that are all happening at once. Yes, there's three different processes. Um, there's, you know, the court hearing date that happened. There's a chapter 3.5 hearing that was in early June and the petition from United Dairy Families of California. So those are three paths that uh, quota is being uh, looked at currently. So as we start kind of breaking those three processes down, maybe first we should talk about the big news that came out on Wednesday. Yes, and so the there was a uh, court hearing, uh, some of you might have watched, that occurred virtually um, last Friday, and it was a really fast process, much faster, I think, than what everybody expected. Um, basically, his attorneys um, you know, giving arguments, but it seemed like the judge had already read a lot of documents prior to that. And so 
Um, he already had a preliminary decision even before the hearing. And that's probably why we had a fast decision on that. Um, on Wednesday this week, um, the judge issued a final decision um, really that um, he decided that he um, is denying uh, what stop quips was asking. And so he kind of ruled um, against the stop quip uh, request on that on that hearing. And so um, the, the parties in the case were really fighting, um, you know, over um, the, you know, merits of quota and things like that, but really in his, in his, uh, what he looked at was only the language. Um, and so the answer to that, the question, which was really was CDFA authorized to establish a standalone quota program without having a hearing first. Um, and um, to that, he said that um, CDFA was in, in their rights. Now, um, another piece of the puzzle that we need to cover that kind of had a, a little bit of movement this week, way back in June, we had that hearing with the administrative law judge. A lot of dairymen testified on that hearing and the judge released a decision. We talked about that last week on the podcast. Uh, it was more of a recommendation to CDFA about how they should handle it. And then we got news this week that Stop Quip is appealing that recommendation. So can you share a little bit about that? Yes, Stop Quip filed a motion to reconsider that decision. And so they basically, like you mentioned, you know, the judge uh, came out with this recommendation and ultimately the secretary um, is kind of going to make her decision from that. Uh, but before she does that, Stop Quip, Stop Quip is requesting that the judge review and reconsider um, his recommended decision. Um, so basically, they're looking at a few arguments in their uh, filing. One, they're saying that the administrative law judge did not consider. Um, the other part was about the fact that his decision was blurring the lines between the process for suspending um, the authority of CDFA to create a quota program with the process for making changes uh, with the program in place. And so uh, that, that CDFA hearing um, was really um, into looking at the process um, in, in terms of can we have a referendum on the threshold set in chapter 3.5? And so um, Stop Quip obviously did not like the result because they were, uh, they had petitioned for a um, referendum on the thresholds established under 3.5. Yeah, and if that's not enough of pieces of a puzzle to keep track of, Annie, we also had something else kind of going on in the last week with the United Dairy Families of California petition. Can you kind of give us a brief update about that as well? Yes, yeah, so that one is gonna be the next step. So um, a few months ago, um, I mean a while ago really, um, United Dairy Families started circulating a petition. They finally submitted it to the secretary and um, it was qualified as having enough signatures uh, by CDFA. And so that means that now that petition can move um, to a hearing. So there's going to be a producer review board meeting um, set to be in the next few weeks and then a hearing after that and that will be on their proposal uh, that's on their petition which is to have a sunset of the quota program in five years. And so that's kind of moving alongside uh, these two other um, these two other issues that um, are, are going on. And so I mentioned uh, we talked about the court hearing right earlier on the first topic we talked about um, where the judge sided against stop QIP, but that might not be over because they might decide to appeal uh, that one either. And so I think we might have these three, um, these three issues moving uh, side by side still going on 
um, in the next few weeks and months. Great, Annie. Well, thanks so much for the update. That's a lot of balls to keep in the air and you're doing a great job of keeping us informed and keeping our producers informed about what's going on. And if all that quota stuff wasn't enough to keep you occupied, maybe we could talk about your actual job for a few minutes. And, and would you mind giving us a market update for this week? Sure. Um, you know, it's been really good given the market updates in the last few weeks. There's been a lot of positive movement despite all the bad um, economic uncertainty out there. Um, things are starting to slow down a little bit this week. Um, nothing, you know, catastrophic yet, but I think the, the prices we were at were not sustainable considering, um, you know, all the economic uncertainty that's out there. And so if we look at um, the USDA prices uh, this week, especially on cheese, it started to feel the CME's downward pressure. And so we've talked about, you know, $3 a pound uh, block cheese a few weeks ago. Uh, since then, it's been going downhill uh, really fast at the CME. And so CME tends to move a lot faster than USDA prices. And that's really what we've seen, uh, this volatility kind of return um, on, a little bit on the downside. And so a few weeks ago, uh, a week ago, exactly, actually, blocks were at 232 per pound. And this week, they're now down to $1.80 uh, a pound range. And so we're really seeing a fast movement in that Front. And what that means, because USDA prices, which are the ones that go into a formula, tend to lag those prices, that means that's probably what we're going to see here in the next few weeks is a, a downward trend on the USDA prices. So we're really high um, for the USDA price for cheese this week. Um, you know, we, uh, we were at $1.13 per pound on May 9th. Um, we went all the way to 277 the week of July 25. And so um, when we're looking at where we're standing uh, this week for blocks at 276, we're still doing um, pretty well for block prices. There's been a lot of uh, reports released this week, um, but they were not quite enough to calm the market. Um, American cheese production was down on a monthly basis for the third straight month. So we've been uh, moving downwards on um, cheese production, which is helpful. Trade data was even more positive with cheese exports that were up 29% from a year ago in June. That was an all-time high record, uh, which is kind of interesting to look at record exports in these uh, tumultuous times. Even imports were down 18%. So overall, this was helpful. But we have to remember that these export contracts were likely set when the U.S. prices were really low. You know, I mentioned earlier, we were looking at $1.13 a pound on May 9th. And so there's been um, a lot of improvement. So maybe in the next few months that trade data will temper a little bit, but still great uh, numbers for June. And so we'll definitely take it. That's moving a lot of cheese out of U.S. inventory. If we look at the USDA butter price, um, not much movement. We're $1.76. It was up just half a penny this week. Um, and so that's pretty good for USDA prices. At the CME, things have been going a little bit more up and down, you know, swings of 10 cents uh, up there, down there. Um, and so $1.54 a pound is where CME price um, is at. So we might see a bit of downward movement on uh, USDA price, but not quite as crazy volatile as the, the cheese price is. Um, and if we look at uh, butter production, it was the first over year, year over year decline of 2020 and the lowest monthly volume since September 2019. And so less milk going to butter production should help uh, prevent further decreases on the price, which is good. 
Um, finally, on the U.S. non-fat dry milk, um, not much movement, you know, decline of 0.09 cents, so very not much. We're at 97 cents of a pound. Uh, CME has been hovering in the same area. Um, and if we look at outside our borders, because it's really important for powder prices, what international pricing is doing, at the latest global dairy trade auction, skim milk powder uh, declined a little bit, uh, but still $1.17, which is higher than the U.S. And so that's good in terms of what kind of volume we can export. And that's important because if we look at uh, percentage exported of powder, it was 80% of U.S. powder that was exported in June. And so that um, that's really obviously important. And if we look at the actual volume, it was up to, it was up 77% uh, compared to last year. And so just good powder movement. Uh, so those low prices at least are helping to move some of the powder outside. And I just mentioned trade, um, U.S. exports were really strong in June, not just for uh, cheese and powder, but overall uh, they were up 28% from a year ago. And now prices were lower, like I mentioned, but in terms of value, it was still up 22% from where we were in June uh, 2019. And so um, I think the, the trade picture, despite all the trade war and the trade issues we hear in the news, um, I think the dairy industry has been uh, pretty resilient, been able to take advantage of a lot of um, export opportunities despite all that's going on. So that, awesome. that was it in terms of um, <laughs> all the great information I had. Um, so, you know, I think you guys have a lot more information, so I won't um, keep going uh, with with everything I've, I've been talking about. I feel like I've been uh, rattling a lot of information. So I'm going to um, introduce Paul Souza. is going to be here with you, I think, to give an update on best management practices. Um, you know, it's going to be fall soon, uh, fall harvest, uh, manure spreading seasons around the corner. So some tips on um, how to get your dairy ready for that. Welcome, Paul Souza, our environmental guru, back to the show. Welcome, Paul. Thank you for having me again. Absolutely. Um, so today, Paul, as folks start looking toward harvest activities, which it's hard to believe we're there already, um, and then eventually manure and nutrient spreading, you and I talked a little bit about running through just a quick reminder of best management practices. It is August. I know up here on the North Coast, I already do have guys spreading manure. And so every year in our communications, we like to run through some reminders for these guys. And we thought it would be a great way to, um, via the podcast, let them know just a few things, um, best management practice-wise that they should be doing. Yeah, that's a good thing. And we do like to do that. I also can't believe it's already August. Uh, school is starting, although the kids won't be in uh, school with this uh, strange year. Uh, yeah. But the corn is uh, very tall here uh, in the northern San Joaquin Valley. And uh, some folks are, are starting to harvest already. I've already seen some choppers out there. So there's some things you got to do and prepare for uh, as we move into that. And uh, it has become... Uh, standard for most folks, but it's always good to have a reminder making sure you're doing that. I am talking to folks that are asking questions about sampling. Uh, one thing I'd like to point out is that there are a few differences depending on what regional board you're in because there's different regions in California and they have their own rules. And so we'll highlight this, those as we go along, um, those differences so that folks in, in different parts of the state know what applies to them. And uh, they'll also get to see what uh, folks in other parts of the state uh, have to deal with on their uh, water board permit and sampling of manure and uh, plant tissue. Absolutely. And I'm pretty familiar with regions one and two up here on the North Coast in the San Francisco Bay. And you're the expert for sure on region five, Paul. So as we go through 
I think we'll probably um, talk about these reminders in a little more in depth as each of us have our expertise. Yep, sounds good. Great. So I can start us off um, with, um, as you start to harvest the corn or whatever your, your summer crop is here in the Central Valley, um, it's important that you take a uh, plant tissue of that to the lab uh, for analysis. And there's a list of things in the permit that you need to uh, get sampled for that. So either you or your consultant, make sure that for each individual field that you get a sample of your harvest uh, of, your, of your summer crop to be able to put into your annual report. Um, and I know it's a little bit different uh, in the, on the North Coast for that. Um, in the Central Valley, we also take a monthly photo of our ponds. Uh, and you guys have some photo requirements also? Yeah, so the biggest thing to remember for folks cleaning out their ponds is to take a picture before they start. That's less crucial, but most importantly, once your pond is empty. And I know I do a lot of running around on the North Coast in the fall, and I start to get out there and guys have already started putting manure back into the pond. So it's really good to get that photo when it's empty. It shows the depth of the pond. It shows the freeboard markers. And usually this time of year, um, the weeds are all taken down. It just shows a really good view to the water board of how much storage capacity that they have. So get those photos. If you need help, always call. I'm happy to come out and socially distantly take a photo for you. It's real easy for me to do, but it's now that everyone has a smartphone these days, it's, it's pretty easy for dairymen to just do it and either text or email it right to us or to the water board. Yeah, okay. Sounds good. And what about as they're spreading that manure, uh, should they observe uh, buffer zones uh, on the north coast more? Definitely. Um, we give guidance that they always need to observe 35 to 50 foot buffer zones, depending where they are, um, when applying on land. And again, a photo of that best management practice is a really good way to show the water board that you're following the rules. Um, and so those buffer zones apply to not only land that borders streams and creeks, but irrigation ditches or any other waterways, including roadside ditches. So we just want to make sure we're not getting manure into anywhere that it's going to be conveyed to a water of the United States. Okay. And, you know, those buffer zones are less important in our flat areas here uh, where we've got borders around our fields, but it is an important, uh, the same uh, end goal is important uh, as you're spreading or applying uh, liquid manure uh, that it not, you know, run off the fields or that, you know, doesn't get soaked with rain and that rain runoff from a freshly applied manure field doesn't run off of our fields. So if you do have a field in that situation in the Central Valley, you do need to be careful for the runoff there also. Another thing that's a little bit different, Paul, up here on the North Coast, um, in order to keep our perennial pastures going most of the year, we do have an allowance to spread manure in the winter months. So dairy producers are allowed to get manure out there in December, January, February, if they need to for nutrient um, application. But a huge reminder, and I think everyone knows this, but never spread manure during a rain event or immediately before. So we have such great tools now to look at the weather and see what's coming our way. If you see that a couple inches of rain are headed your way, don't spread manure right before that rain event. Just try to wait it out and get that manure out there when it's a little bit less of a runoff risk. Okay, and you know, we're seeing some of this issue in the Central Valley also. The Water Board has recently enforced against some dairies, and part of the problem is applying lagoon water specifically uh, in the wintertime during a storm. 
Uh, it looks as if you don't have enough lagoon capacity. Dairies in the Central Valley are supposed to maintain a certain amount of lagoon capacity as uh, spelled out in their nutrient management plan, usually 120 days. So if it's January or December and uh, you know there's this, it's raining and you're applying lagoon water, um, there's this perception that you didn't have the lagoon capacity and you're dumping your lagoon. Uh, and as we'll get into, you, you can't do that. You need to be applying your nutrients uh, according to your nutrient management plan and when your crop needs it. Absolutely. And that, that kind of leads into our, our number five bullet point here. Um, manure, composted manure, compost, anything that you're putting on your pastures or your cropland needs to be spread at agronomic rates. We're not just taking nutrients out there to dump them off. And I think almost everybody's pretty clear about that, but we should always refer to our nutrient management plan, especially in the Central Valley. But um, anywhere that we're spreading manure, almost every dairy in the state of California has a comprehensive nutrient management plan now. And we just need to follow those to the T when spreading manure to make sure we don't over apply. I would agree. And that is becoming more important. As I talked about that enforcement happening in the Central Valley, we've seen a couple of dairies get some big fines or some cease and desist orders. Uh, and they're usually focused around that issue, around uh, not following your nutrient management plan and excessive application of uh, manure nutrients. So um, it is, it, it's always been there in the Central Valley, but it is becoming more important. Uh, the Water Board here is catching on to that issue and taking some serious enforcement action for those folks that are not doing that. Moving on to the next one, um, you know, same as we're talking about, you know, spread manure in areas that need the nutrients. Uh, there needs to be an agronomic need and that are not subject to runoff. And that's the same thing here in the Central Valley, although not as big as it is on the North Coast or with rolling hills. But um, if you do have a field that, um, you know, tailwater goes off into a, a creek or a drain, uh, you need to make sure that's not happening with uh, the nutrients that are applied in manure. Absolutely. And, and on the North Coast, in a lot of cases, we have dairies with a lot of pasture land and it's hard to cover the whole ranch with manure every year. But sometimes we see an issue where it's just easier in the winter to put it out in a field that maybe isn't as a need. So just as much as possible, try to get nutrients out to those far reaching fields in the late summer and early fall. And then that saves your closer fields and a little bit easier job for those muddy times of the year. Okay. Yeah. Same thing in the Central Valley. The, the closer fields tend to get more manure because it's more economical and easier to haul it there. Uh, but we have the same thing. If we hauled it, you know, a little bit further and spread it evenly amongst our land or exported it, um, it would help with the nutrient management plan. Definitely. Um, a big thing that's important in all areas, but it's kind of a newer requirement on the North Coast, we need to keep a record of the fields that we're spreading and the amounts. So if you're if you're doing it by truckload, um, cubic feet would be great, tons if possible, um, gallons, whatever, um, whatever measurement you can use. Um, we just need to know how much manure we're sending to each location and maybe just the number of days you're spreading. If you're, if you're using a pumping method, just the gallons per minute of your pump. But it's really important to keep records and um, we do have templates for that. So we can get them to you so you can just put it right in the manure hauler's truck or right on the tractor that you're um, moving your your gun with or whatever need be um, just keep track of what days and how much you're spreading yep and that's the same thing in the central valley we got to do that exact same thing and in addition we've got to sample it so on solid manure you've got to have two samples per year of uh, different manures or manures that you're applying uh, 
and uh, at least quarterly lagoon water samples in quarters that you apply lagoon water. So again, you know, yeah, strict record keeping of the amount applied and then uh, samples to go with it to show what was the nitrogen content of that material that you were applying. Yep, yep. And so, moving on to the next thing, you know, it's August, as we said, um, summer is winding down. Soon we're gonna get uh, cooler temperatures and now is the time to be preparing for winter. And this applies um, in on the North Coast as well as in the Central Valley. Uh, I mentioned the water board's enforcement. A lot of these dairies that did get enforcement uh, were not prepared going into winter. So it's important now that things are dry and you can get out there, uh, check your gutters, uh, clean conveyances, you know, uh, to move manure around the dairy, uh, to make sure they're working properly. Uh, if you're on the North Coast, you're um, you know, maybe it's a little bit different. You're trying to divert clean water around the facility and um, make sure you're containing any runoff. And in the Central Valley, it's uh, making sure that, you know, the runoff gets to the lagoon water. We're, we don't have so much of uh, diverting uh, runoff. But, you know, making sure that things are working properly is very important. Your lagoon has capacity, uh, that it's not full of solids, um, you know, that solid separation systems are working. Uh, to make sure you've got that winter capacity and that your lagoon uh, works as it's supposed to uh, to hold and be a storage pond during the winter time. Definitely. I, I once had a water, a well-intentioned water board regulator tell a dairyman like, well, when it rains, you should really be out there walking around your dairy, making sure that all your clean water conveyances are working. And I, you know, thought to myself, boy, when it's raining, we have a lot of other issues that we're dealing with on the dairy. So now is really the time. Just do a quick walk around, check your gutters, make sure they're not full of, sometimes they grow a little grass or something in the summertime, make sure that there's nothing major that you need to repair. And, and the same with those clean water conveyances, make sure the ditches are all cleaned out and, and, and that all your um, conveyances that carry manure to the pond are in proper working order. Now is also a really good time to check those ponds for gopher rodent holes. Like, that's a big thing where we're at up here and just making sure that there's no way that manure is going to go anywhere but where it needs to stay in the lagoon. And um, yeah, yeah, while we're on that subject, it's also a good time to make sure that your corrals are sloping properly, that if you have any um, any use for them in the winter that they drain right to those lagoons. And um, if you don't use them in the winter, it's a good time to start scraping them up and, and prepping for the rainy season. I mean, August is a little bit early to take the cows out of the corrals, but just kind of planning and preparing to get those um, heavy use areas and those corrals cleaned up for the winter and, and make sure that if you do use them during the winter, they're, everything's going where it needs to go. Yep, same thing on the, in the Central Valley. So you also want to check uh, the dairy for any areas that are extra sensitive, uh, especially on the North Coast, um, to drainage or erosion issues um, and make those proper adjustments um, to use, uh, you know, or control traffic in those areas. And I've seen some interesting things on the North Coast as folks uh, put down straw, uh, you know, in sloped sensitive areas that are corral areas during the, they're during the summer and then during the winter, they're very steep. And so, um, you know, folks do a lot of preparation um, you know, to control erosion on those areas. Um, and again, the time to prepare that, make sure you've got the materials on hand, the straw, uh, maybe not the time to do it yet, but it's time to start, you know, getting ready for that. 
Definitely. And then finally, just for the North Coast and San Francisco Bay, I want to make sure that folks are enrolled and their dues are current in their testing association. So up here um, in the North Coast in the SF Bay region, we have um, groups. Uh, usually we contract with an RCD or a Farm Bureau and they go around and they test the surface water so that we don't have to have the expense of testing on every dairy. So just check out that you're um, enrolled in your locality. If you want to partake in it, you don't have to, that's not required. You can of course always take your own samples, but um, in Humble and Del Norte counties, you can reach out to the Six Rivers Dairy Association and that's um, through the Humboldt County Farm Bureau. And in the Sonoma Marin area, the Sonoma Marin Dairy Representative Monitoring Program, also through the Sonoma County Farm Bureau. And those Farm Bureaus have been a big help in administering those programs and making sure that a qualified testing uh, expert is hired and that the testing gets done every year and those reports get filed for you. So it's one thing off your plate if you're in the North Coast and uh, San Francisco Bay region. Yeah, and those are great. And in the Central Valley, we have a similar one, but it's for groundwater. It's the Central Valley Dairy Representative Monitoring Program. Uh, really helps lower the cost of groundwater monitoring for dairies. Um, it's really a good thing the way dairies have gotten together uh, and put together these representative monitoring programs to reduce their cost and headache. Uh, you know, when it's raining on the North Coast that, you know, every individual dairyman is not having to have the equipment and run around and get a sample. You've got, you know, professionals that that's what they do uh, at a lower cost. And in the Central Valley, the same thing. Although groundwater uh, monitoring is much more expensive, we found a you know, very cost-effective way to do that. And they did change from milk check deduction. Uh, starting in uh, January of 2020, they are uh, sending out invoices to everybody this year, uh, the Central Valley Dairy Representative Monitoring Program. So um, we've kind of, there's been some changes and folks are asking, you know, hey, what's this bill? Uh, or I thought I used to pay this through my milk check. I've been getting those kinds of questions. And so, um, you know, just for folks to be aware of that. But it, it is, uh, you know, really great the way the industry has pulled together um, to streamline and save costs for dairy producers with these programs. Absolutely. And I know in the Central Valley, a lot of folks work with consultants, but if you have questions about this, you can just always ask your consultant. You're always welcome to call us. Same on the North Coast. I'm here to help answer your questions, connect you with the water board if you have a question that's pertinent to them. And we have a really great working relationship up here on the North Coast and in, in the SF Bay region with the water board. So they're pretty accessible and um, producers usually feel comfortable just reaching out directly to them. But if you have an issue or a question about something and you wanna you know, not bring it to the water board first, always feel free to reach out to our office. Yeah, and you know, for the folks in the Central Valley, that same uh, thing applies here. Um, very familiar with the regulations on that. And, uh, you, you know, almost all dairies in the Central Valley have a consultant that's handling this because it is so complex. Um, the annual reports are very uh, intricate and a lot of details in there. And if you get something wrong, it's, it's a big problem. Uh, but sometimes uh, there's issues that get, you know, above a consultant. They're not used to seeing some, you know, odd situations. So uh, I do get questions now and then, and I'm very open to that from members. If you want to you know, check on something you've got, you know, it's not the routine thing that your consultant handles for you all the time, uh, enforcement or something a little bit out of the ordinary, uh, I'm happy to answer those questions for our members. Definitely. So you can always call our office 
888-6453 and just leave a message and it will get to Paul, myself, Darby, or, um, you know, we can refer you to a consultant if we think your issue might be just a little bit above our technical expertise, which isn't very often the case, I'll, I'll say that. Yeah, I can usually answer the questions where I do refer people to a consultant if sometimes, you know, an engineer is required. Uh, and I don't do, you know, we don't do the annual report work or the work with for the water board. We don't have a consulting business. So a lot of times I can guide, uh, you know, and like, uh, you need to hire an engineer to uh, assess an area and get an engineered stamp. So obviously I can't do that. I'm not an engineer, but I can, you know, tell you, yeah, you know, other dairies are having to do this. This is a new direction the water board is taking. This is what they're looking for. Um, and then most likely in, in that case where it is, uh, you know, uh, a report uh, or something that needs to be generated, there would be somebody else that would have to do that because we don't do uh, that consulting in the Central Valley. Good. Well, I think that's a good update, Paul, for our members. Thanks so much for taking time on a Friday to, to visit with us. And um, we hope you have a great weekend. And we'll have you back here one of these days to talk about some more fun environmental stuff. How's that sound? Sure. Sounds good. And I'm always available to our members. I really would welcome them to give me a call if they have any questions on anything environmental. Great. Well, thanks again, Paul. And up next, we'll hear from Rochelle with an update on the Luceros Unidos program. Hello Dairy members, it's Rochelle with Western United Dairies and Lancheros Unidos de California. We know there's a lot of dairies needing milkers, feeders, outside guys, and so on, but we also know we are in tough times trying to get every member someone to hire. Hoping every member understands it's not easy and we are doing our best to help you dairy members stay productive and happy with our program. If you are looking for employees to work at your dairy or have called the office already to sign up, we ask to be patient and you will have someone hiring any day by now. Remember, we do the advertising, phone call interviews, and then we send them to you. So, if you need to hire or post your job offering and interested in finding more information about how it works with Lecheros Unidos de California, contact the office number at 209-527-6453 or send an email at R-A-S-H-E-L-L at W-U-D-A-I-R-I-E-S dot com. Thank you and have a nice day. Okay, well, thanks so much, Rochelle, for that great Luke update. Make sure that you do reach out to Rochelle, call our office, or reach out to Darby or I if you have any need for employee placement on the dairy. Next up, the ever-popular question of the week, Darby. Yeah, this week I've had quite a few just rest and meal break questions and please no one ever feel bad for asking these questions. I think that there are things that change, there are things that stay the same and there's just different policies that every dairy has that it's usually good to get a second opinion about and just make sure you're protecting yourself. So uh, Melissa, why don't you start us off with one of the first questions I've gotten this week. Absolutely. So the biggest question it seems like is if employees clock in and out at the same time every day, is it okay to be efficient and use time cards with the in and out times pre-printed? So as efficient as this seems, and as much as I enjoy efficiency, the answer is 100% no. So these times should be filled out and signed every single day by the employees. This is preferably every day. You can do it um, and verify it on a weekly basis. That's acceptable too. 
but time cards should never be pre-printed because it really opens you up to the criticism of the accuracy of your records. Okay. Um, so what is the best way to ensure proof that employees are being given their 15 minute rest break periods in the workday? Yeah, so employees should have a, or employers should have a written meal and rest break policy for their employees. And this is a signed acknowledgement that compliant meal and rest periods were provided to them every single week. A lot of times I would suggest adding the acknowledgement language on their time card or to a document that they sign when they receive their paycheck. And we have all of that as a pre-done form if you're interested. And then for rest periods, additionally, if you're really concerned about making sure that you're keeping great records about when and how their, your employees are given their rest periods, you can keep a record containing when and for how long the rest periods were taken. And it's important to remember that rest periods are paid time. So employees are not gonna punch out for these rest periods the same way that they would for a meal break, which is why it's sometimes easier to prove that meal breaks were given but you can have an additional record showing when the rest periods were taken. If you have any additional time card or rest and meal break questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to Melissa or I. And if something is really specific or we don't know the answer, we are happy to do some more digging and find out the answer for you. Any of the documents that I referenced above can be found on the member portal, and that's at westunitedairies.com. And you can log in to the website and access really a large amount of labor documents. If you have any problems logging in, or you just have questions or would like us to just email you a specific document, you can call or email us. And my email is darby, D-A-R-B-Y, at wudairies.com. Right, and I'm M-L-E-M-A at wudairies.com. And just, it's super easy and super handy to log into that portal. It's your member number and your last name. But if you have any trouble or you don't know your member number, just reach out. Sometimes there's some case sensitivity issues too. If you have a, a different last name, maybe we didn't get it spelled correctly or something. So feel free to let us know and we'll get you signed up for that. I know a lot of members that are accessing it recently and having a lot of luck with it. Yep, and as we wrap up this episode, we want to give a huge thank you to Annie, Paul, and Rochelle for joining us for today's episode, and thanks again to all of our listeners and members. And remember, just reach out to us with any questions, comments, content requests at those email addresses we just gave you, or at wud.pod at gmail.com. And as always, remember to please rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple, Spotify, Anchor, and Google Podcasts. While West United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the West United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairies generous 2020 business sponsors, Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. 
If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com. That's info at wudairies.com.